0: Thank you for joining us, Malena
1: Well, thank you, Kathy I, and, and Jill. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Um, as you know, uh, the Every Student Succeeds Act has been pretty much part of my normal everyday language for <laughs> many years now. Um, so I do feel like I know this front and back, but I um, Yes, there are times that some things come up that things are changed. So I will say that I do try to um, stay on top of that as much as possible because with all laws, they do tweak things here and there. So um, as of right now, this is the law as it stands, um, the Every Student Succeeds Act and how Indiana addresses how we work to support our foster youth in the school setting um, together. So, um, oops, you know, uh, I forgot Kathy asked me to introduce myself and tell you a little bit about what I do as education services director. I lead a team of education consultants for the state of Indiana Department of Child Services. And all of my consultants have been uh, in the classroom. They are still licensed educators. Their licenses are intact and valid. um, And that is a requirement so that we stay in Um, in touch with what's happening and what changes with education strategies and interventions and what we learn. Um, So we have to stay on top of that with continuing educational credits, just like you um, have to stay on top of your credits uh, for your licensure. So um, all of our team have master degrees or higher in education or a related field. Uh, We have social workers, we have um, our past school social workers. We have past family case managers, um, again, all with educators um, degrees and licensure. Um, I always I sound like I'm saying I'm a lot. My, my apologies. We have a very wide variety of disciplines from the educational backgrounds on our team, and that is done with intent. We are a team of 15 who serves the entire state of Indiana, and we need experts in every area of education. And one person cannot be that expert in all areas. So we work very closely together as a team, not only with our team, but also with the social emotional learning team over at the Department of Education, which is where my colleague, as you see, I have a vacancy uh, over at DOE with my colleague. Um, That is the team where my new colleague will be joining when they come on at the Department of Education. If you have any further questions about what I do with DCS or what my team does, please feel free to reach out to me after this training. We can talk more, I can do trainings for specific schools, our teammates, my team can do trainings in the local area as well. Uh, We also have a virtual summit that is coming on July 16th. That is a full day summit that is focused specifically on educating the youth um, that are in foster care. Uh, as a whole child approach. So I encourage you to attend that as well. It is a free live, a virtual event that the Department of Child Services is putting on. Um, So with that, let's talk ESSA. Um, You will hear me say ESSA a lot. ESSA is the acronym for Every Student Succeeds Act because, you know, we love our acronyms. So ESSA was signed on um, December 10th, 2015 by President Obama, and it reauthorized the Elementary and Secondary Education Act of 1965. Um, so it is the eighth iteration, which means that it's the eighth time that it's been changed, just like as I was talking about at the beginning. Um, laws change as we learn from what we put in place. So. Uh, As we learn, we continue to grow. And that's the nature of, you know, mother nature, that's the nature of life. Uh, We learn and we grow. Um, So what ESA did is it provided the states better control or more control over the accountability and school improvement within their own state. And it aims to create a transparency regarding those achievement gaps that have been identified with our disadvantaged subgroups of students, which includes our foster youth population. So um, one of the things that is so important regarding foster youth education is that the national data that has been gathered through the legal center of foster uh, care education has identified that our youth, our foster youth have higher suspension and expulsion rates than their peers that are non-foster. They have lower standardized test scores. They have um, higher levels of uh, grade retention and dropout rates. And the high school graduation and is incredibly low, but college graduation is barely there. We have a lot of our students that will begin college, but many of them do not successfully achieve college graduation. And that's something that we need to work on as well. So we need to work on our pre-K all the way through to post-secondary Education supports for our foster population. And what we can how we can do that is utilizing the spirit of ESA and remember what our focus areas are. Our focus areas are foster youth educational stability. Um, educational stability means that our youth will remain in their school of origin unless there is justification for them to transfer. We don't want to transfer a school unless we absolutely have to, and it is truly in the best interests of the children. So with that, um, you want to make sure that you're thinking about the child. We're not thinking about what what is the most convenient for our service providers? What's the most convenient for our foster parents? our schools, our doctor visits, our supervised visits. We can't think about all of that as one specific reason. We have to think about all of that, including what does the child want? What does the birth parent want? Are their rights retained um, by by our birth parents so that they should be included in this conversation? Uh, what, does our service providers who've been providing therapy and other engaging um, activities for our youth to help them learn and grow in their independent living skills, what are their thoughts? Um, Is there a CASA involved? What are their thoughts? So these are things that we have to make sure that we do as we work to ensure educational stability in the best interest of the child. So we take that seat, what is called a child and family team, which is everyone who works to support the child. And um, we work to make certain that we can get all the voices and we are doing this in the most collaborative way we can, because the more voices and the more perspectives that we have, the more of a well-rounded picture we have of what's going on in this moment, in this child's life. Um, My apologies. I just remembered that I was told to turn my um, video off so that we can have a better broadband with, and I forgot to do that. So excuse me just a moment. My apologies. All right. So in addition to um, educational stability, We need to um, think about how fast can we enroll our children. Um, Our children are supposed to be enrolled immediately. They are to have transportation provided by the school of origin within five instructional days, no later than five instructional days. Uh, DOE has some guidance on where the placement is in con- consideration to the school and their expectations on how long each type of placement should be, but that it is no longer than five days. Uh, we are to share our resources between local schools um, and our agencies to make sure that it happens. And also, the Every Student Succeeds Act required for the first time, it required that states collect educational data on our foster population. So we're gonna talk more about that in a little bit, but these are huge steps. These are things that have never happened before that'll allow us to really do the best that we can for our foster youth. Um, As I explained earlier, I am the Director of Education Services for DCS, but also the Every Student Succeeds Act required that every single child welfare agency um, and every single Department of Education agency identify a state level child welfare point of contact. And so um, I am the state ESSA point of contact for the Department of Child Services in Indiana. And um, as you see, there's my contact information. I highly recommend to either text or email me because I am in so many meetings back to back that there are many times that I cannot answer my phone, but it may be a situation where the the setting of the meeting doesn't particularly pertain to me or my reason for being there. And I can catch up on um, some texts or emails at that time. So I do highly encourage to utilize those format. Um, but if you do need to call me, please do. I do have my phone number there and um, I'm more than willing to help in any way I can. Um, as I said, DOE and DCS both have to have a state education and point of contact um, that is required by the Every Student Succeeds Act. In the state agency of education, there's also a McKinney-Vento liaison that is at the state level. So ESSA says the McKinney-Vento who helps and supports our youth that have um, experienced homelessness, that person cannot be the same person as our foster care point of contact. And um, they did that logistically. And now that we've been in it for a while, We see why they need to be separate, but also at the same time, we work very closely together because there are so many similarities on how we function and support these youth that um, it is imperative that we work together and collaborate. Uh, DOE, uh, this position is currently vacant at the Department of Education. They have chosen their candidate. And from what I understand, the candidate has accepted and will be starting at the end of the school year because they are still um, under contract and working to fulfill their contract for the remainder of the school year. So um, I expect that that to be announced um, at some point near near summer. Um, it's very it's very exciting. The person is super awesome, and I have very high hopes because they're amazing. So. Um, fingers crossed, and um, that everything goes smoothly, and um, we'll both be up and running as the united duo, just like um, Jeff Whitman and I were in the past. So um, one of the things that You will hear when you are communicating with the DCS staff is you're going to hear a number of different ways that out of home placement is referred to. And um, we use the terminology resource parent, we use the terminology foster parent, um, kinship placement, uh, relative placement, non custodial biological parent, um, all of those words mean out of home care. So if a child is placed out of home in a 24 hour substitute care um, placement away from their parents or the guardians for whom had placement of that child at the time that DCS came involved, um, that is to be considered foster care by the new definition under the every student succeeds act and what this includes is any child who is placed in a foster family home whether that is through a kinship relative licensed unlicensed doesn't matter if we dcs placed that child there an emergency shelter care like i said relative foster home a group home or a residential facility, all of these types of placements, regardless of whether or not there's any payment or any licensure, if DCS, the child caring Facil- agency places the child and has placement and care responsibility, that child is to be considered foster under Every Student Succeeds Act. Now, DCS went ahead back in 2016 and said, hey, we have local point of context so that we can make this a very localized decision making collaborative process because our local schools have local authority. We thought this was a very good idea and it is allowed under the Every Student Succeeds Act. So once DCS went ahead and identified a local education or excuse me, a local point of contact in our local offices, it then required that the local education agencies, the local schools and charter schools that are all public we're required to then also identify a local point of contact. We are very excited to say that we have 100% compliance to this. Um, Any changes to this point of contact and it has to be immediately identified to one or both of the state point of contacts um, by the local school corporation superintendent. And um, these point of contacts are to collaborate with each other our local point of contacts, to determine the best interest of the educational placement and also the transportation plan for that youth now that does not mean that we do it all by ourselves so there's a lot that goes into it remember how earlier i said there's a lot of voices that have to be considered in this situation um when we go on to the uh child and family team meeting, that's when we collect our voices. So I'm going to pause for just a moment because I realize I don't really give a lot of breath for Kathy and Jill to jump in if there are questions.
2: I haven't had anything posted on Facebook Live, and I don't see any in the chat box.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Um, Yeah, just let just just jump in there because I do I forget to take enough of a breath, because I talk really fast. Um, I'll try to slow down. So the best interest determination, there are many considerations that need to be reviewed before we make the decision. And um, what we do while we're making that decision is that we make sure that our youth are, are remaining enrolled in their school of origin, unless there's some Big reason why it's not in their best interest to do so. Um, it could be a medical reason. It could be um, it could be a bullying situation. It could be um, a distance situation. It could be um, a number of different things. So um, make sure that we have a justification why the child is not remaining in attending their school of origin. Um, until we make the best interest determination. Um, While we do that, how it works is, the family case manager is who changes the placement. They're the ones that go in and do that actual work. So the only way we're going to know about that is if we're contacted and told by our family case managers. So they contact us and they say, hey, we just had a placement change for little Johnny Appleseed. So we're like, okay, that's great. Let's collaborate. Let's talk. Uh, There used to be what we used to call a POC checklist. And that was developed with the local school corporations, the local DCS offices, central office at DOE, and central office at DCS. And what we did is we turned that into a huge checklist to make sure that both the local school and local DCS point of contacts. we're taking all the points into consideration that we needed to do so now we have updated that checklist and it now is part of our school notification form and it is much more condensed and the questions and points that we take into consideration are now part of a separate form because now that we've been doing this for a number of years our schools and also our Um, DCS side are aware of the questions and things that need to be asked so that they can access it through that site rather than on this one document, Um, so that we're not utilizing too much paper, so that we're not making someone have to read a bunch of stuff that they have already, they already know. but yet still have that access. And it is a uh, clickable link on the actual form. So um, it's also on the DOE website. If you're interested to check that out, please feel free. There are so many other resources there. Uh, I highly encourage you to check out their website. Um, But also then what happens is after we collaborate and we get all the voices and we ask all those questions and we get all the answers, then we make a decision and we say, all right, this is what we believe to be the best interest determination for this particular youth in this moment of time. And then our education consultant point of contact will send that on over to the school point of contact for their input. There's a bunch of acronyms on your screen and I'm gonna tell you what they are. POC is point of contact. BID is your best interest determination. So we call that a bid. Um, And so the EC education consultant will send the initial proposal of best interest determination bid on the point of contact checklist, which is now the school notification to the school of origin point of contact for their input. The key point to remember that is this process should always be collaborative. Um, Once they they take care of all that, um, again, I really wanna focus in on the fact that the child remains enrolled and attending their school of origin to maintain their educational stability while we were completing the bid, the best interest determination, okay? Um, So we send those initial thoughts over to the school and then the school, if they're in agreement, the school point, point of contact, what they do is they go over and they talk to their internal team. And they say, hey, internal team, you know the child, principal, school principal, or excuse me, principal, school counselor, got um, school social worker, teacher of record, classroom teacher, Whoever works with the child paraprofessional, you want to get their voices and say, hey, this is what DCS is proposing. What do you think? And so then they are to say yes or no. If they are in agreement, they're going to go ahead and sign our little checklist, our, our school notification. They're going to send it back to us. And then they're going to make sure that there's transportation set up within five instructional days. And it is to be coordinated and arranged by the school of origin. They hold all that responsibility to coordinate and arrange that. Now, do they hold all responsibility to pay for it? No. However, they have to settle and organize it. And there is some amazing, very easy to follow bulleted out training information on the link on this um, slide, which uh, Kathy and Jill will have the slides uh, at the end of this session. And if you click on the foster care transportation training information, great information for our transportation directors. Now, if the school is not in agreement, then they come back and they say, hey, we don't agree and here's why. And our POCs will discuss these concerns and then we're gonna take that to our internal teams We're we'll say, hey, they don't agree, but here's why and here's some really great points. Um, and we talk it over and hopefully we can come to a collaborative t- agreement. If we can't, and there's still no agreement, then we do what is the ESSA dispute resolution process. And all they do is they check a little box in the bottom of the form and they say, hey, we don't agree and we want the ESSA dispute resolution process while that is in place, guess what? The children should remain in their school of origin and attending their school of origin to maintain educational stability. We don't move the child from their school of origin until the decision is made. Now, the dispute resolution process is super easy to get set up because we have to make it as fast as we can so that we are not causing undue burden or stress on anyone, the child, the family, the, the case manager, the school staff, the transportation department. We don't want undue st- stress on anyone. So we want this to happen as fast as possible. Now, Every Student Succeeds Act st- does state that the Department of Child Safety services state child welfare agency will have the final decision regarding the youth educational best interests if um um not if i'm sorry it is the desire for the parties to all come to an agreement though so Again, collaboration is the key and communication. We have got to make sure that we are communicating all of the barriers and all of the positives so that we are hearing all perspectives of all the parties that are pertinent to this decision so that we can come to an agreeable resolution. We do not like it when it comes down to me having to say, okay, I've heard everything and this is the final decision that I have to come to. That's not what everybody else or the majority agrees with. Um, I've had to do it twice and I don't like it. Um, And I will say in the two times that I've had to do it, I'm very grateful that the Department of Education state point of contact was in agreement with me as well. But um, it still feels ugly when we don't have a, agreeable resolution with all parties uh, because we do want to make sure that we're collaborating because it's us, it's us that has to be the team. Us mean you, us being me, DCS staff, local school staff. It's a we. So um, I just wanna make sure that we all understand that it's a we that helps these youth become successful.
2: Elena. Uh, yes, ma'am. We have a question. Sure. It says if the S <clears throat> excuse me if the FCM and EC are completing the POC checklist at what point do they solicit input from other invested parties should caregivers in emergency shelter care be given the chance to provide their input prior to the POC checklist?
1: Yes so when a child's placement is being moved there should be a conversation held or a cftm child and family team meeting um, with all vested parties by the fcm so the fcm should be in communication saying hey do you know so and so and what are your thoughts on this um so yes they they should be included in that discussion. And if you're not being included in that discussion, I, I, I ask you and encourage you to reach out to your FCM or reach out to your local education consultant and say, hey, I'm not being included in this discussion. Um, can, how do we fix this? And we can work on making sure that our local office remembers um, that, your particular role uh, should be included in that discussion. Did that help
2: answer your question? They haven't posted anything else yet, Melina.
1: Excellent. Okay.
2: Um. So they did post. Yes.
1: Awesome. Perfect. Uh. So when that disagreement happens, uh, what we do then? is uh, this is the required meeting participants of a dispute resolution. So the local required participants at the school level are the corporations as a point of contact, the superintendent and the director of transportation. That is not all the parties that can attend, it is the required people. Now, often, majority of the time, the school will have the, pres- the principal and um, either the teacher, the counselor, someone who knows the child attend as well. Um, and that's helpful because that does help us to get a good understanding of what's going on um, in the school setting. And um, the required local child welfare participants are the uh, DCS education consultant or the local SL point of contact. Um, if that were to be different, right now it is our our team i can't imagine it not being our team but uh the family case manager the local office director or the family case manager supervisor we we are we just want to make sure that there is a representation of the local office supervision there so you will see that transition between lod and fcm often Uh, again it may not be the only folks that the local office bring they may bring the CASA, they may bring um, uh, an education surrogate if there was one identified that maybe can help identi- um, assist in uh, giving some information. We may even bring a parent if um, it's it's needed. It just depends on the voice that should be included that the FCM has staffed with the family and decided upon. Now, the- state-level required participants are the DCS and DOE state as a point of contacts. And so what we do is we get that meeting set up as fast as possible. And then, um, oopsie, didn't mean to change that slide. Sorry about that. Um, We meet virtually so that we can be fast. And we lay everybody's perspectives out on the table. Uh, The state point of contacts pretty much listen or ask questions to get more details out. And at the end of the meeting, we either have come to a collaborative conversational discussion and agreement, or um, we have to make a final decision. I will say that there are, there's been a couple times, well, actually, excuse me, there's been one time that uh, we held the meeting and, There was not enough information presented and the DOE state SOPOC who was acting in interim during this vacancy and I needed to, uh, pause the dispute resolution process meeting and reach out to communicate with the therapist to get their input because of, um, really significantly awesome points on both sides of the uh, decision-making process with being pro and con staying in the school of origin. And so we did reach out, we talked with the therapist, and then that is what helped us come to a collaborative decision that ended up being really great for the child. Um, The adults weren't happy, but again, it was not about the, the adult, it was about the child. So I'm um, very excited to see that process go so smoothly in that particular one where we had to pause and then return back because we needed more input from a party that we didn't think to ask to join. So um, <clears throat> earlier, I talked about some cost sharing. And uh, if you're a local school, uh, you may be interested in what a written transportation plan is, every single school corporation that is a public school corporation in the state of Indiana, including charter schools, are required to have a written transportation plan specifically for our foster population. Luckily, there's this amazing template on the DOE website that's called the written transportation plan to ensure school stability for students in foster care. It is approved by DOE and DCS, and it has contains all the elements and our process to the T um, for our schools to make it a lot easier so that you don't have to re- reinvent the wheel. You can, um, currently I believe it is on DCS letterhead uh, because DCS is who wrote the official template. Um, but it is very much so collaborative within DOE and DCS. And um, you can take our, temp- our letterhead off and put it on your own letterhead, fill in the, the top and sign the bottom and send it to me and I will get the rest done for you and even send it over to DOE for your desktop monitoring. So um, just know that that is easy if you don't have it. it, At this point, it does have to be renegotiated at the end of every school year because we don't have very many schools invoicing us at this time. And once we do, then we can establish a process that um, makes certain that what we have offered as far as payment options is fair and also within our budget. So. Uh, once we get a good understanding of what that's going to look like, then we may have the transportation plans uh, written out for a longer time frame or maybe even an indefinite time frame. So uh, just know that as we fine tune the process, we will become more fine tuned with that written transportation plan, just as we did with the school notification and uh, combination of the bid. So um your feedback is always welcome. Uh, transportation is to be provided as long as the child is in foster care or it is in the best child, best interest for the child to attend the school um, that, the, that they're attending or until the child exits foster care. Now, if a child exits foster care in the middle of a school year, they are entitled to transportation for the remainder of that school year if they remain in that school. Um, Also, Title I funding is approved as a um, eligible expense to be used for transportation. Here's one that really pertains to you all. I know, we know, everyone in the agency knows (laughs) you want to enroll that child in school as soon as possible because you want to make sure that you're complying with the state law of the compulsory attendance law. Please know that we're going to ask you to wait until we can make certain that we have made the right best interest determination for that individual child. So please Stay in communication with your family case manager. Don't enroll in the school corporation that is closest to your home because that child may actually be able to stay in their school of origin with transportation provided. Um, We do have to enroll immediately. However, for our school staff who are attending right now, please know it is not a denial of enrollment if you ask your staff to contact your local DCS point of contact, if you have not received the initiation of collaboration via our school notification and bid process prior to completing the enrollment process. So that should be something that you have an internal process on with your local SAPOC. SO but please know that if you don't enroll immediately, We're not gonna call and complain and say, why didn't you enroll immediately? When you say, well, I'm looking for the ESSA point of contact um, communication. I haven't received the bid. I haven't received the school notification. I know nothing about this child. So if you haven't received that, don't enroll. And here is the most important reason why. You immediately become school of origin. Immediately, the moment a school enrolls a child, whether they've attended or not, and they've even 30 seconds, if you've enrolled the child, you are now school of enrollment per Indiana statute, which means then you are responsible for everything that we've been talking about for the last 30, 40 minutes. So don't enroll until you know that it is the best interest determination for that child to be in your school corporation. Okay. Um, We wanna make sure that we're doing the right thing and we're gonna change those numbers that I told you at the very beginning about the the expulsion and suspension rates. Educational stability will decrease our suspension and expulsion rates. Educational stability will increase our grade promotion rates, our graduation rates, our ability for our youth to successfully achieve passing scores on our standardized testing because educational stability won't have gaps in their education, okay? Remember, every school corporation has the ability to... Cur- to a- have their own curriculum. So when we jump a child from school to school to school, they're jumping from different curriculums and different places in that curriculum. So um, we wanna think about that when we're enrolling our children.
2: There's a question? Yes, we have two questions if you wouldn't mind. Sure. The first one is with the availability of virtual learning, what is the criteria for determining whether in-person learning or
0: virtual
2: learning is in the child's
1: best interest? Well, there's a lot of criteria on that one. Um, We have to understand whether or not, we have to understand the child's motivation and and, um, whether or not they can take the initiative to be able to be successful in virtual learning. Um, We also have to understand whether or not there's an educational champion that's going to be by their side while they are doing their virtual learning, because there are some things that are going to be a struggle that they may not be able to have addressed immediately by the classroom teacher in a virtual setting. So we do need that educational champion to help them along. And you as the parent, foster parent, bio parent, birth parent, guardian, it doesn't matter. You as that caring adult can be that educational champion. And if you don't feel like you are, we can help you. We have all kinds of resources to help you along um, that are free resources because we don't want you to have to spend any money to be able to help um, with educational supports. So we have all kinds of that available. Um, And uh, so... kind of lost my track on where the original question was when I got going there. Um, But those are some of the things as far as virtual learning that we take into consideration. But then there's also a huge piece as far as distance. We have learned through the pandemic that the Department of Education requires standardized testing to be completed in person. So, when we kept our children because of the remote platforms that we had available due to the pandemic, we've been keeping our children in the school of origin much more frequently because of virtual learning. Um, We learned that that became a barrier for standardized testing. So, um, that is something that I'm hoping we can work on together with DOE to find a resolution that's a little bit more convenient than having to drive the child to the in-person setting did that answer your question in its entirety
2: we have a they said yes excellent the next question is and who makes that determination whether the child will be virtual or in person
1: it's part of the essa best interest determination so um, that is one of the points that we would consider if it's available And that would be one of those things that, um, that one specific, virtual attendance, we really need to know the voice of the parents, Um, especially with the pandemic. we had we wanted to make sure that we, you know, bio parents and birth parents are supposed to be included in every educational decision, whether um, unless their rights have been terminated. So we need to make sure that we are engaging them. But when the pandemic came, that was even more of a concern to make certain because of the health concerns that were, um, you know, part of the whole issue. So uh, we want to make sure that. We are utilizing and engaging the voices of all because what happens if you don't have internet connectivity and we've made the choice that it's the best interest to go virtually and you have really spotty connection because you live out in the country or you have to drive to the school to sit in the parking lot to catch the Wi-Fi there because there's no hotspots available um, there's a lot of things to consider. Uh, a device or a school or a computer is not an issue. It is a non-issue. And I will tell you why. Foster parents are required by policy to purchase insurance for any device that a child has, unless it's already been purchased by the foster, by, you know, it's already been purchased, the the um, the the policy follows the device, which follows the child. Um, and by policy, foster parents are required to purchase the device insurance when it is offered through the school. And DCS will reimburse that foster parent for the uh, premium, as well as if there is any damage or or whether it's stolen or lost or you know broken, anything that happens to it. Um, DCS will reimburse for the deductible. Now, if you don't offer, school doesn't offer insurance, then the foster parent is not required to purchase the insurance because it's not offered by the school. So you don't have to purchase it from an outside provider. And um, DCS will still reimburse the school for any damage to the device or lost replacement, etc. cetera. So uh, there's a whole process on that. If you have any questions about it, feel free to contact me or my team. Um, so that should not be a concern as far as virtual attendance. Any device that they need to be able to attend virtually needs to be provided by the school. And if it's not, contact us and we'll help you to make sure that it is provided. Did that, how's that? Did that work for that one?
2: They responded yes. Thank Excellent.
1: you. All right,
2: any other questions so far? Those are the only ones that I had, and there's none that's been posted on Facebook. Okay, excellent. All right, so
1: I think we have uh, talked about this one enough. Let's move on to the data. So earlier, we talked about some the identified education gaps. Well, in order to identify educational gaps, we have to utilize the data and We never collected data before the Every Student Succeeds Act said we had to on our foster youth educational outcomes. So this was exciting. What's even more exciting is that in 2018, every student, okay, wait, let me back up. Every Student Succeeds Act required data to be collected, um, I believe, from high school up. I can't remember the requirements as far as what data had to be shared on their report Um, because Indiana rocks and we collect data from pre-K all the way through to graduation. And now we're looking into how can we collect some post-secondary data to find out how are we preparing our students, our foster experienced students to live independently, successfully, and happily as an adult. So um, we're looking at how can we collect that post-secondary now? But we began in 2017, 18, collecting this this data, and we're the only state in in the nation who collects foster youth data to the extent to which we do for all grades. and it's really exciting because this does help us to identify where are the gaps, where are Indiana children achieving um, in comparison to the national data that we've been sh- that's been shared with us by the U.S. Department of Education. Um, and as we learn more about the data, and as we see what we collect. Every year, the data has become stronger that we have collected. So it's very exciting because we are now able to actually look at this data and gain information from it. And there is a stakeholders group, a foster youth educational stakeholders group, monthly, who talk about how can we provide remedial supports to address the gaps that we're seeing in these, in these reports. And now we collect them every year. 2017, 18 was the first they are posted. Um, they are owned and posted by the Indiana State Board of Education. So that link there um, is the link to where you can find the reports. And I encourage you to check them out because like I said, as as we grew, you can see how we became much more um, in depth and fully encompassing of our foster population on, on these reports. And if you are interested in joining the stakeholders group, um, please contact me because I am the interim lead of that group until this position is, um, has been filled and brought on and had time to acclimate to their new role. So. That's the end of my little spiel. Are there any questions? And at this time, I would like to say, are there any questions in general? Not just about this that we talked about today, but you have me, now's the time, ask away.
0: This is your opportunity folks, get those questions answered. We don't have Melena with us all the time, but we have her here right now. So please, please post those questions.
2: I don't have any that's been posted on Facebook, ladies.
0: Okay, I do. I do have a question in the Q and A box. How long should it take for transportation to be set up?
1: So um, ideally, no more than five days. Sometimes they have been taking a little longer um, because of shortages, because of um, just barriers. There are barriers in some situations and we do try to get that set up as fast as possible. Um, in the meantime, DCS is responsible to ensure that transportation is being put in place for our foster youth that are uh, attending a school corporation outside of their school of residence. Uh, So I do want to encourage folks to make sure that you are in communication with your FCM to find out what's happening. Um, If you are asked as, as a foster parent, if you are asked to transport the child, please know that you are entitled to mileage reimbursement um, so, uh, make sure that you, if that you're asked, you ask if you're going to be getting the reimbursement that you're entitled to, uh, and you should always have an education consultant and an FCM involved in this. If there isn't, um, please contact us because you should definitely be included in the conversation and these folks should be part of your conversation. They should be part of your support group in addressing educational supports for the child in your home.
0: Okay.
1: How'd, and, I, how'd I do with that one?
0: Yeah. And while we're waiting for his response, uh, what if a caregiver disagrees with uh, the best interest determination? Do caregivers basically have the opportunity to dispute the, uh, the bid? So,
1: yes, they do. Um, I will say that the caregiver's voice should be part of that. And what we do is the caregiver is considered our, an internal party, right? So in our side, when we are doing our internal collaboration and discussions, if our caregiver vehemently disagrees, then we need to understand why. Um, so that should be part of that first initial discussion. And if we can't get an internal agreement, then we have a process internally to ensure that we take that up the line to get a decision made by leadership. Most likely what will happen is it'll go up to the local office director, or the regional manager, as well as to myself. And then together we will meet with the team and, and make a decision.
0: Okay, very good, okay. So just Malena, I, I have a question. Um, I think I've shared with you that I was a foster parent for, for many years and worked with many foster parents. In, in the process, um, on, there's another question, but um, if the decision is made to leave a child in their home district, which can be a very good thing, if at some point it's, it becomes apparent that maybe that was not, that is no longer, a good placement can that change mid-year or do yes wait till okay so okay. so we can review a, a a
1: best interest determination at any time so if we're in it and we've decided three months in and this child is maybe having maybe something's changed or maybe there's some in, uh, an increase in, in unwanted behaviors that maybe have something to do with the, the actual placement and not attending school there, but attending school away, away from where the other siblings in the home are attending, um, foster siblings. Uh, by all means, let's talk. Uh, if something's not working right for that child and that child is not being successful, let's talk because that's what it's about, making sure that we are doing the right thing for our children in the right, in that moment. So three months prior, it might've been the good decision. Three months later, it may not be the right decision for that youth now.
0: That's good to know. Do you have another question? At the end of the day, who has the final say on education matters, the, the family case manager or the educational consultant? I've encountered a lot of back and forth between the two parties about who makes the final decision.
1: So, uh, if we have an education consultant and our FCM that do not agree, uh, it has to go up the chain of, of supervision. So, Uh, If our education consultant and our FCM don't agree, then the supervisor, the FCM supervisor should be brought in to discuss that with the three of them. Uh, And then if there's still no agreement, then uh, the local office director and should be brought in. Um, And if still no agreement, then we'll take it to the RM. Um, And then after the RM, then it will go up to the assistant deputy directors of field, whichever one is over that particular area. And um, my supervisor would be included uh, as well. But as far as the state, as far as our agency, uh, our director has given me the authority to make the final decision.
0: OK, so at the end of the day, if neither the FCM or the educational consultant can they can't come to an agreement, it goes it goes up the chain of command, so to speak. And somebody higher up makes the, the ultimate determination.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And again, um, that's never happened. Um, so I, I would hope that it doesn't. Uh, we work very, very much so as one united team here. So we want to make sure that we stay as a united team.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I see that there's something in the chat. Right. Um, regarding the magistrate. Okay.
0: Um, would you like for me to read it and then you can respond? If you could, please, because I can't sure. see. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I have my class my I promise I was getting there. Um, I've always been told to register a child right away. Also, at the end of every court hearing, the magistrate makes a point of saying the school of record is East Chicago, Gary, where whatever. Um, I've been told that way the local school corporation can bill them. So, yes, there's
1: a lot of different laws as far as how transfer tuition works. Um, bottom line, school ADM, which is um, the amount of money that is um, allocated for an individual child. So that particular child's ADM follows the child no matter where they go. So if Say Johnny was attending ABC School Corporation and then moved to DCS School Corporation. And um, But it was after count day, right? So DCS School Corporation can contact ABC School Corporation and say, hey, can you transfer tuition? That's not typical because in the state of Indiana, in our legislation, um, they say it's not necessary, it's not required, but it is allowed. Um, most school corporations don't do the inter school corporation um, tra- transfer tuition because of, um, it, it's usually a wash. Uh, they do share and bill back and forth a lot more for transportation expenses than they have in the past. So um, that's the part of why you've been told the the school of record, uh, that means it's the school of legal settlement. Uh, School of legal settlement is where the parents reside. Um, The school of residence is where the child resides and the school of origin is the last school or the current school where the child is attending school. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of terms that all sound like they mean the same. In the past, yes, we wanted our foster parents to immediately enroll our children because of the compulsory attendance law and making sure that our kids weren't slipping through the cracks. Um, now. We have this really in-depth process because what we've learned from that process of, please enroll fast, enroll, get a kid in school, is that jumping from school to school to school is detrimental to the child's academic as well as social-emotional health, social-emotional and behavioral health. Um, So we, we don't wanna do that unnecessarily for our children. I hope that Joan, and Joan, if you have more questions about that, or would like to talk more, please feel free to contact me directly.
0: Okay, still looking for for questions. Um. Oh, I see. I put that
1: up on the share. I'm sorry. What's that? I had that right on top of the share screen. Oh.
0: Sorry. Um. Yeah, I don't see anything in the Q&A box. This is a great time, again, get those questions answered either in the chat box or in the Q&A box, or if you're participating in Facebook Live, you can post a question there as well.
2: We, excuse me, at this point, we still have no questions posted on our Facebook Live. Excellent, okay.
1: So uh, one thing that I do want to bring up is um, as Kathy identified at the beginning, um, there is a survey that InSource is going to be doing that is a very, very important survey that you're going to get as soon as this is over. Please, please, please fill out that survey so that they um, can make sure that they are doing everything that they have to do in order to have these types of trainings um, and comply with their federal compliance. Um, There is another survey that Kathy has posted that is just a survey on my presentation style, the content, whether it was effective, whether you feel like you learned anything new um, and how I can improve. I encourage you to please let me know how I can improve because I do believe that the more I learn, the better I can be for you. And the more you can learn from my type of presentations. So if you have the time, please do click on that link. It shouldn't take you very long to complete it. But I do ask you to complete the in-source survey first and at the utmost importance.
0: Okay, still looking, folks. Okay. All righty, I think this concludes our webinar.